We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Bills make me wanna. Both, uh, both Kavika and Marcus are, are knees. Yeah, we had two, and I don't know the severity of either one, uh, Cordy Glenn with an ankle and then Worthy with a knee. But I do not know the severity of either injury. Yeah, a lot of young, you know, very young guys, and unfortunately, they made a lot of errors. Uh, and there's no, I mean, there's no hiding from it. You know, way too many penalties, and you can't certainly put yourself in a hole. You certainly put yourself in a hole when you do that. We did lead the league in, in vertical passes last year. We, so we're trying to do that, but you got to have protection. It starts with protection, and and quite honestly, they got after us pretty good in those situations. We'll have to see. I I can't. You know, we're, we're not performing at a high enough level to win, obviously. But we moved the ball some in the first half and got the ball to Terrell and, you know, did some did some things. We ran the ball pretty well. Just never, we're not finishing. We're not finishing at all, and clearly we're not scoring. We knew it was going to be, you know, tough sledding. We knew it. But we thought we'd be able to make a few more plays than we did. Welcome, everybody, to the Rockpile Report. I'm Drew Gear, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder. That's Chris Kruger, my producer. And that is exactly what you thought it was. That's audio of Dick Duran and Rex Ryan both talking about how f- just futile their attempts at winning a football game were. Well, let's let's oh. make note. Let's make note that the Duran audio came from the six to three home loss against the Cleveland Browns. Immediately following Sunday's game, I looked at Chris. Now I threw a party at my house, having my friends around me. It's probably one of the few things that got me through that in one piece. So. I looked at Chris and I said, Chris, you know what I want to do for our intro for this week? I'm going to go and I'm. this is before I even listened to it. I said, I said to Chris, I bet you that I can find some Dick Duran audio from that 6-3 to three loss that pretty much kind of lines up with whatever the hell Rex Ryan is going to say when he gets to his press conference today. And what happened? You can draw a lot of parallels. And that's what I'm doing in my head is I'm drawing a lot of parallels to that game and the the game that I just watched on Sunday and that 6-3 to three loss to the Browns. It's one of those things that's like pulling teeth to watch. You could go to our Twitter account, at Rockpile Report, and see Drew react to 
Baltimore converting on a third down in the fourth quarter. And uh, the there was a Roby penalty video that I took where you're, it was like a face mask, but not really because he grabbed the back of his helmet and pulled him down. But, I mean. You guys are lucky. For, for, for all of you who were at my house, you're just lucky I didn't throw myself on the floor and start doing the Homer, the Homer shuffle or the curly shuffle, I guess, as it were. But the fact is, guys, we're here. The Bills are 0-1, and last week's game might have been the ugliest thing I've seen out of football on any kind of a professional level in a long time. Well, we, we were talking about that uh, pregame. I was like, what do you think the worst game is going to be today? Oh. And I was like, it's got to be Cleveland and Philadelphia. Wrong. Buffalo and Baltimore. Buffalo, Baltimore. Snooze fest. I don't know how it happened, but let's get right into this thing. We'll kick everything off like we usually do with the Bills News Update. Biggest news of the week, Sammy Watkins. After this game, he I, I guess there was complaints that after the game, his foot felt quote-unquote tired, which immediately sparked me, you know media speculation that he would miss significant playing time. I believe it was first reported by Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News. Well, I don't listen to that ass clown. He doesn't know anything. He's got a lot of connections within the national media, and he would know more about it than, I get, than somebody locally. Okay, but... Manish Meta, uh, you know what? He's written too many pieces for you know different publications that just reek of like shock journalism. I can't take him seriously. But in any event, Sammy Watkins responded by saying that he has no plans on missing this week's game and that he's going to be absolutely fine. The coaching staff hasn't said much of substance on the subject, preferring to take a wait and see approach. You know, and listing listing him as officially questionable. Heading into Thursday night's game. Personally, I don't think it's cause for major concern. But I think a part of it might be from the fact that all the time he's missed, I I think that this whole situation is stemming from all the time he missed during the preseason. I get it. You're trying to nurse him back slowly. You don't want him to re-injure the foot. You don't want him to break, you know, the screw in the plate that are currently inserted in his foot. You don't want him to re-injure it because then you, you will lose him for weeks. But that time he missed definitely hurt his conditioning, okay? And so now, especially the conditioning on that foot, and now as he's trying to recover from that off-season surgery and step just step right into a full-time number one wide receiver role, I mean, I just, I think that they took the right approach to a certain extent, but then by not playing him at all, it almost may have made things worse. Do you feel he's not ready to go. Do you feel like if... If it truly is nagging him, do you think he could go the next 16 weeks and get a cortisone shot and play on Sunday and not practice? He could, but I don't know how effective he would be. I mean, in all honesty, this is something that should have been taken care of before the season even started. The fact that it's not, they they should have come together as a staff and said, okay, this is how we are going to handle Sammy Watkins. He wants to play. But do we put him out there just you know, or do we give him more time to heal so that when he does come back, he has the proper ramp up of physical therapy and of conditioning and of all the things that he's going to need to get back out there and st- stick on the field for a long time without feeling the effects of that surgery? Well, let's go back to his initial surgery. It wasn't nationally known until three weeks after he had it done. Well, and that's my point is that I, th- I feel like there's no communication. Between the, I mean, the whole Cordy Glenn thing. 
not Cody Glenn, Chantrell Henderson, talking to the coaching staff about, oh, his, his agent's talking to the media about how the coaching staff didn't talk to the player. The player and the team had almost no contact throughout his the, the course of his illness and his procedures. This is something, the medical staff of the Buffalo Bills have been railed on for a long time. They really have been. And I, t- I tend to take a lot of that with a grain of salt, but this is another thing. This is just another nail in that coffin where it's like, guys, get your shit together. Talk to your players. If they're injured, find out. Don't be finding out weeks from now that the guy had surgery. Or don't be finding out weeks from now that the guy took a course of uh, course of treatment for his Crohn's disease that involved marijuana. Because you could have flat out told him, okay, if you do this, it's good for your health, but you're going to miss games. Don't act like it's a shock and, oh, we didn't know. You, you, you should have known. That's your job is to know the health of your players. I believe our medical staff has been around since Levy, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they've gone largely unbroken up, which I think needs to change. But in any event, this is definitely something to watch. I mean, tomorrow night he's going to try to give it a go. God help us if he's not 100%. And apparently the Gronk experiment is over here in Buffalo. The Bills cut Glenn Gronkowski this week and re-signed Jerome Felton to the 53-man roster. Some people out there are going to point, you know, to his ineffectiveness as a run blocker or his lack of an impact. You know, he didn't really even show up during the game. Do you think that might be a a product of kind of what happened to C.J. Spiller? Because the Saints, if they caught him before the season, they would have had to pay him some um, some money. I didn't read a whole lot into it, but they basically no, waited until week one to cut him because of money. I think this is a very different situation. The thing with Gronkowski being cut and Jerome Felton being brought back has everything to do with the offensive line. We're, we're going to be going into Thursday Night Football tomorrow night with a backup playing left tackle. Okay, We're going to, against one of the most ferocious pass rushes that the NFL has to offer, Seven sacks on Cincinnati. We are going to need every available man, woman, and child to keep Tyrod Taylor upright. And I think they also saw the fact that the kids didn't bring anything. But more so, I think, because I think they'd be willing to give him time to develop if the offensive line hadn't taken any hits. I think if Cordy Glum was still out there, I think if they had proved that they could run block efficiently, that they can do that edge running game the way Greg Roman likes to run it, if, if they had showed all those things then I think they would have been okay with keeping Glenn Gronkowski around and developing him as a player. But with as poorly as they're blocking, someone has to step in who can who can protect the quarterback when they do decide to pass out of two back sets and who can come out there maybe even as a sh- in the shotgun as just an extra blocker in the backfield. You know, I saw the touchdown drive that we had were inside the five and it was put out by our – Friend of the show, Eric Turner. He's on Twitter, at Cover1E-Turner. He put a video out, and I watched it. We're inside the five, and you know that I'm not Mm -hmm. that much of X's and O's when it comes to Mm -hmm. football. And there was a running play, and I watched Gronk come into the hole and help out the tackle with the lineman instead of get through the hole Block the linebacker, yeah. and it was it would have easily been a touchdown had he hit the hole, hit the linebacker, and Shady would have been in the end zone. Anybody who's ever played football, the fact that the, the, they know 
unequivocally the fullback's job. The fullback's job, it's not glorious. It's not, you know, it's not, you don't make a whole lot of flash plays being a fullback unless your name is Mike Allstott, okay? Your job is to hit the hole in the first man you see wearing the other team's shirt. You knock his head off, okay? That's your job. Your job is to dig the man out of the hole to make a crease for your running back. Gronkowski just doesn't have it at this point in his career. He's not big enough. He's not physical enough. Jerome Felton is a veteran in this league who's done it and proven that he can do it. They didn't like his contract. They didn't like what he brought to the table. But given the struggles that we had, he needed to come back. Now, given this, I'm going to take this on a little aside for a minute. Given how much our pass rush struggled, do you think that they would have the wherewithal to go? Manny Lawson still doesn't have a job. Yeah, you didn't like that he got cut. Greg Little still doesn't have a job. It is not too late to go out there and reclaim these players and bring them back to our team. They know our offense. They know our defense. They can contribute to this team. Bring them back at lower cap numbers. It doesn't matter. The fact is, is we are severely undermanned on both sides of the ball at the skill positions, and it's hurting us. And with that said, we're going to get right into the week one game recap. Finally, football is here. Suffice to say, this Sunday didn't go the way any of us, including the Bills coaching staff, expected. We dropped a game on a road to a team that didn't really look impressive in any way, shape, or form. I wasn't, even watching the, the game tape, I wasn't impressed by anything that the Ravens did because it's all fairly standard stuff. And they're not that great at it. Their offensive line is not as good as they looked. Okay, We made life easy on them in a lot of cases. Now, I know the post-game chatter from the staff included a lot of praise for the defense of the Ravens. And some of it is deserved. I mean, I watched the footage and, you know, me and my, you know, he was just talking about Eric Turner. He and I were chatting last night. And we both agreed that their linebackers were exactly who I thought they'd be last week when we were talking about the whole pregame the pregame run-up to this, they were stout in the run game, they were solid in coverage, and they were quick to sniff out our runs to the edge of the defense. C.J. Mosley and Zach Orr are a huge part of the reason we lost this football game. You know, if, if the Ravens don't have two athletic inside linebackers, because that's what they were constantly forcing, forcing running backs to take runs wider than they wanted to. You know, usually we run off guard, off tackle, we couldn't find any room. Their defensive ends and outside linebackers did a great job plugging up those holes, and those linebackers made sure nothing got past them. So I understand giving them credit, but I wouldn't give their defense credit. I give their defensive coordinator, and specifically Mosley and Orr, all of the credit. All of the credit in the world. Because I don't think their cornerbacks are that good. We just didn't test them. So after I sobered up around you know midnight on Sunday, I rewatched the game. All of the, you know, all 22 footage that I could get my hands on come Monday and into Tuesday. And I took a look into the statistics and tried to pick through the wreckage of what just happened to us on Sunday. And here is what I found. Okay, first and foremost, overall view on the defense. Besides a few big miscues, our defense had a great day. I was impressed. I got to tell you, I got hit. I was pitching a half stack. When I saw that the defense didn't jump off sides on that first fourth down attempt where they blatantly tried to call it, tried to get us to pull off sides. You know, I, I give them a lot of credit for being disciplined, being sound in their gap assignments and just not moving, knowing that this is the situation. Let them test us on fourth and one. 
I also want to say that I think our corners looked slow in run support. I think that was a problem because we, there, there was a lot of plays there, especially early on in the game, the first quarter, second quarter. We could have had tackles for loss. And instead, they ended up at least getting back to the line of scrimmage because our cornerbacks were missing or just not getting to the spot fast enough to make a good tackle behind the line. They had the angle. They were just slow. You know, Monday at work, I got to listen to Howard Simon and the Extra Point Show on WGR with Sal Capaccio. And the one one thing, one of the somebody tweeted at Jeremy White about his displeasure for the defense. And this person... Don't care who he is because I, from what he tweeted at Jeremy, he doesn't really know football. He used a stat that probably people cared about in the 80s. He said that he wasn't impressed with Buffalo's defense and was upset with the fact that they gave up 308 yards total to Baltimore, which if you broke it down throughout the entire NFL, it was the, uh, the seventh we ranked seventh. Six other teams gave up fewer yards than we did, and one of them was Baltimore to uh, to us because we had like what one one seven. <laughs> we had like one seventy six yeah, or like something. One, it was in the one six. That's just a poor stat. I don't care what you say. We give up thirteen points to anybody. We should win that game. At the end of the day, the scoreboard is what matters. That guy's an idiot. So. The other thing I noticed, watching the film, our pass rush, I'm sorry, but it's non-existent. You know, I thought we had four sacks. It doesn't matter. The fact is, is that our lack of the pass rush, consistent pressure, that's the problem. When you see Flacco making the big plays, you know, those, those 10 plus, 15, 20 plus yard passes, it's all because he had time. He had time in the pocket. They ran play action and we just bit on it. And so he's got time to stand there and deliver a, a good ball to a wide receiver who's, I don't want to say open, but our cornerbacks really bit on that play action. I'm glad we got to see it early in the season, and hopefully it's something they can kind of get over going into this game against the Jets. But Jesus, I mean, it. outside of Jerry Hughes, there wasn't a member of the defensive staff that really had any ability to get after the quarterback without help. That has to change because that's going to come back to kill us in most football games. I, again, I'll make a point. I, I would beg this coaching staff to just suck it up and get Manny Lawson on the phone and get him in here for tomorrow night's game. But that's not going to happen. So I don't know what we're going to do. They, we didn't blitz a lot either. That was another thing I noticed. We didn't blitz, quote unquote, See, I thought we would have done that considering what exactly. Baltimore was doing on their left side of the O-line. Pre-game, I thought we were going to try to take advantage of these, the, this rookie left side of the line with some exotic blitz looks, corner blitzes, safety blitzes. Instead, we were content to really just sit in our base defense and just, just hope that we can contain them. And it ultimately turned out to be our Achilles heel because it kept our defense from making any real splash plays in the game. It's very upsetting that Rex wouldn't pull something like that, having two rookies on the O-line to attack that. Well, and that's it's just a gross oversight, I feel like. You know, I feel like this game, the, the, the whole mantra of this game was, I mean, the, it all comes down to coaching. We got out-coached in almost every phase of that game because that was an extremely winnable game. But I'm going to move on before I wrap all this up. Well, I will tell you that. that hey, I don't even want to talk about that it. That game is something we got, we're going to see come 
13, 14, 15 when we're in the hunt hey, and we need an AFC you're game. You're getting way ahead of yourself. We're still exactly. talking about this game. Then we move on to the offense. I thought the offensive line played a miserable game on Sunday when I was watching it live, just seeing everything that was happening, You know, kind of drinking, hanging out with my friends, casual, being a casual observer. Not casual observer, but you know what I mean. You, if you go to our Twitter handle at Rockpile Report and watch that video of Baltimore converting on third down in the fourth quarter, everybody knows that you were way into that game. So the fact is, is just watching it, I thought our offensive line played like garbage. But after really watching it, I saw that they actually did a, an, at least an average job. You know, Quanjo actually acquitted himself fairly well as, as a guy who got thrown into the fire mid-game at left tackle. He only gave up a few pressures. Okay. Well, that's his, that's his spot as far as tackle is left tackle because of his knee surgeries. Well, yeah. You know, there's a post foot and a slide foot. I mean, I could get into the technical issues of playing offensive tackle with you, but the fact is is that he did a good job. I, I was surprised when I rewatched all the plays and saw that the fact he got to his spot and he did what he needed to do most of the time, as did mo- a lot of our linemen. A lot of the issues that we had in the pass rush department were actually the byproduct of blitzes called by the defense that either weren't identified pre-snap by the quarterback or occurred when Tyrod just held onto the ball for too long. You don't know the number of times I counted a full three count before Tyrod Taylor threw the football. And at the same time, he's checking it down to a running back. But you have guys who are out there. You have to throw the football. I get it. Tyrod Taylor last season, one of the biggest knocks against him was that he didn't. if he didn't see a guy open, he wasn't going to throw it. Sometimes you have to let your players play. And that's one of the things that Aaron Rodgers, it's one of the things that Tom Brady, I mean, I, I, I'll stray away from the greats. You know, Ben Roethlisberger does it with Antonio Brown. Even mediocre quarterbacks know that you have to let your wide receivers make plays because if you aren't going to throw to them even when they've got one man on them, they're never, they're very rarely ever going to be wide open. This isn't college football. It doesn't work like that. Cover one E. Turner on Twitter. Eric Turner put out a couple of videos of throws that Tyrod just flat out missed. Well, I want to, I want to say the first play of the game. He had somebody down the seam, yep. and that's one of the things oh, when it came to, when it came when it came to contract talks. The thing that I didn't like that Tyrod didn't do last year was utilize the middle of the field. Loves to throw outside the numbers. All right, well, and that's and that's the thing. We're a vertical passing offense, but then you know, for a vertical passing offense, you would think that we would have taken shots down the field, but we didn't. We just didn't do it. And then you look at the running game. Our edge running game failed miserably. The Ravens just sold out on the idea of keeping us running between the tackles or trying to get to the outside. And as suspected, their solid interior linebackers strung out almost all of our plays to the sidelines. And a lot of them, especially anything that Reggie Bush touched, just turned into losses in the backfield. They also called a lot of design run blitzes, which just hampered what our offensive line can accomplish on their own, and Gronkowski just wasn't a good blocker. That's why he's not here anymore. You know, he just couldn't pick up that run blitz to get LaShawn McCoy a couple extra yards. Speaking of Reggie Bush, he just doesn't look like he can contribute on offense on a consistent basis. So I don't want to see him out there anymore. I'd rather see Gillisley. I think the only reason he even saw snaps was because John Williams didn't play. But having said that, I don't want to see Reggie Bush playing as a running back anymore. 
Well, Rex said in his presser yesterday that uh, Gillisley didn't get any touches. No, no, that's the thing. So you cut James Wilder Jr., who's a big, physical, good pass-protecting running back. You cut him for Gillisley, and then you don't give Gillisley a single carry. See, I don't want I don't- not one. Hey, hey, no, no, no. Before you say anything, so then. You put in Reggie Bush because Jonathan Williams. So now you're going into the game with effectively two running backs because you don't plan on using your your quote-unquote second stringer. You put in Reggie Bush, and all Reggie Bush does is dance. All he does is dance east to west in, in the hole. He's indecisive. He doesn't look like he knows what he's doing, and he gets tackled for losses. I don't want to see him carry the ball again Unless it's unless he's the only running back with with two legs on our roster, that's exactly where I was going. Reggie Bush looked too much like of an east west runner, and I, I'm sorry, I I get um, I get that with McCoy, but McCoy can hit the holes when he sees them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Reggie Bush doesn't have that top end speed. Ugh. And you know, since we're I, I I'm taking a look at it now. We've talked about offense. We've talked about defense. There's a couple specific position groups that I want to talk about. First off, linebackers. They looked good in coverage on the tight ends, running backs. I mean, they looked good. The Browns together. Zach impressed, and they impressed me. I wasn't expecting them to do that well. The run support was solid. They didn't appear to be a liability in any specific phase of the game. And Zach Brown really seems to have grasped the defense, you know, which is going to help because he's probably the more athletic out of the two of them. And in coverage, he's stuck with their tight ends up the seam, down the seam, whatever routes they were going to run. He wasn't – they didn't complete a whole lot of passes on either one of our linebackers, which is promising considering how many teams we play this season that have athletic tight ends. Well, it's probably also a good start considering that uh, Dennis Pitta is kind of injury prone. Yeah, yeah, he's lucky. He's lucky because he, he had like a serious oh hip, a dislocated dis- hip, dislocated hip, dislocated and fractured hip, then a broken finger, and then all this stuff. I'm just Dennis Pitt is a guy I like, so I was almost hoping they didn't throw him the ball just because I didn't want to see him get killed on my watch. I mean, I mean, for all you know, it's a good start for the linebackers to see somebody that you know, Dennis Pitt is good, but. He has his injuries. You know, he's been on the decline because of injuries. So it's. I think it's a good start to the season to see an average to above average tight end for our linebackers to cover. So then I took a look at the secondary. And the one thing, you know, there's some things that jumped out at me. Darby, I will say that Ron Darby was playing off coverage for most of the first half. And in doing so, gave up a lot of easy yards. Okay especially that throw that put them in field goal range. The one where he, I don't know what he was yelling at the official about. He ran downfield and the wide receiver cut back and Darby was off of him by like 15 yards. He wasn't even close. He wouldn't have, somebody else had to make the tackle and then he came back and yelled something at the official. But when you watch the replay, the wide receiver never touched him. I don't know what Darby was complaining about, but the fact is, is off coverage does not suit Ron Darby. Hopefully our coaching staff learned from that, and he has to be. He has to be in a man-press scheme. So does Gilmore, okay? because I'll tell you, Gilmore was also beaten by Mike Wallace on a similar pass. He got caught playing off his man, and then when the throw came, couldn't close the gap to the ball fast enough. This can't happen to us. We're supposed. They're supposed to be the strength of our defense. Ron Darby, Stephon Gilmore, 
you're supposed to go into this with two top flight cornerbacks because that's what makes the defense run, right? And that's what killed Rex Ryan in his last season with the Jets when he didn't have good cornerback play. Well, I'll tell you, this week they did eventually dial it in and they made the right adjustments, but I don't want to see any more of this. I do not want to see any more of this off-coverage play with these guys. Let them play to their strengths. Otherwise, you get out-coached. Well, let's go back to one of our podcasts that we did um, during training camp. We had I had audio on our podcast during training camp from Darby himself who said, hey, I don't think I'm that good at off-coverage. I want to work on off-coverage in training camp. Okay, well, clearly that's not your strength. But the coaching staff should know that. It shouldn't be up to the player to decide what he wants to do. It should be up to the coaching staff. They need to put us in a position to succeed, and I think that's man-press defense. And then watching these safeties, none of them truly stood out to me other than Duke Williams. But that's because he 100% blew his coverage on Mike Wallace, which is why we lost. I mean, that's the score that costs the game. I'm not going to say it's why we lost the game. But I will say, Duke, you blew this one. Hello. Duke Williams thinking about Mia Khalifa <laughs> on that touchdown pass. He's like, I'm gonna make this play on Mike Wallace. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna get back in Mia Khalifa's good graces. Or he thought, or he was like, man, what is Jim Kelly's nephew Chad trying to do to get in them DMs? Oh, he was jealous. Well, whatever it was, I'll tell you this. Those are the types of plays. That Duke Williams play right there is the types of play, it's the type of play McKelvin used to make all of the time. And it would infuriate me. I mean, you're talking about both of them. On the, it's the same type of play. The wide receiver gets, a, gets on your hip. And then somehow you turn your head the wrong way. And then you lose sight of him. And that's all it takes. I talked about it in the run-up to the game before in, our last, in last week's podcast. All you have to do is give Joe Flacco a window. He's not afraid to throw into it, especially on the deep ball. And no, he got burned good. Mike Wallace burned him up. I expect him. I expect to see his time reduced because I think after watching that, teams are just going to target Duke Williams. Well, we still have six safeties. He needs, put somebody else in. He we needs, got six safeties. He needs to get in the box. That's where he belongs. He's a. I see him as a hard hitting kind of intermediate pass to run support specialists. His deep coverage skills are terrible. And then we're going to we're going to wrap all this up with uh, I hate to do this because he's been a piñata all week in pretty much most of the major media publications. Tyrod Taylor. You know, no loss the way we lost can go without criticizing the quarterback. His stat line, let me read it to you. 111 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, a 68% completion percentage, and two sacks for 16-yard loss. Tyrod's performance on Sunday might have been the poorest of his career. I remember seeing the stat in the second quarter on TV. Tyrod, 7 for 9, 21 yards. Well, it's, it's not difficult. Yeah, because he's he had, checking down. He had no targets to wide receiver. Not even a target. Not even so I could see like, hey, I threw a couple passes that didn't get completed early. He had zero targets to a wide receiver in the first quarter. On the very first play from scrimmage, he had Sammy Watkins wide open for what would have been a touchdown, and he just blew the read. He hurried to check it down to Lashawn McCoy. That is unacceptable for any quarterback in the NFL. 
And certainly not a guy who just got paid. I mean, he just got paid a, a solid chunk of change on a bridge contract to what hopefully, I don't know, furthers his career in the NFL. If you were coming out here to impress us, Tyrod, you f- you didn't just fail. You Hindenburg. Well, wait, he wears five. You sure that wasn't Trent Edwards? No, Captain? it looked Check like that. it. He could have had Sammy Watkins wide open, very first play of the game, touchdown. But he was too eager to check the ball down to McCoy. And on the play immediately following the Buffalo Bills fumble recovery, Tyrod checks it down to McCoy after standing for a full, and I gave it a full three count, which might even be a three and a half count. Completely missed the fact that Robert Woods was coming open over the middle of the field after breaking on his route down around the 30-yard line. It wouldn't even have taken because he was uncovered. It wouldn't have taken a decent, it would have been a decent throw, not a great throw, a halfway decent throw. And if Woods couldn't have taken that to the house, we would have at least been in field goal range. But because he kept checking it down, we later settled for a punt on that drive. I mean, there's just, there's there's too much here. There's another glaring miss. The play before the missed field goal. Charles Clay is in single coverage, and the safety beat, you know, he has the safety beat to the inside. He's going up the seam. He makes a little bit of an adjustment and kind of shimmies away from him. He's got five yards in any direction with no defender. And if he catches that pass, he's down to the 10, maybe walks into the end zone. Again. Again. Instead of waiting an extra second just for the pressure to go away, because there really wasn't any. Taylor just checks it down to Robert Woods for one yard. These are all examples that his vision of the field on Sunday, specifically the middle, it almost seems like it regressed rather than improving. Well, it wasn't even there last year. But at least he was looking deep last season. Our vertical passing game thrived. Best in the NFL. Because he was willing to throw passes down the field. Now he's gun shy. He won't do a damn thing. Is it because he's worried about screwing up and not getting that second contract? If that's the case, then then fire him now. Cut him now. Let him keep his money. And we'll figure out what to do from here. Because if you can't, I'm sorry, but if you can't go into every game and just be who you are, I get it. You're now what it has become a contract year. Don't play scared, because if you play scared at quarterback in the NFL, you will lose. You will lose football games. You're not going to win yourself any fans, and you're not going to do yourself any favors by being conservative. And, I, I mean, I mean, I'm, like I said, I was talking about, okay, we're going to go back to the offensive line here just for a second, because we're still talking about Tyrod Taylor. That drive-killing sack in the second quarter, Eric Wood, there's a moment. Eric Wood and John Miller are facing multiple blitzers pre-snap. It's obvious that they have multiple guys in their face. Timmy Jernigan makes it past them both untouched. And McCoy isn't big enough to block a defensive end like that. There's a moment where Tyrod needs to see the blitzers pre-snap. This is a perfect example of it. Pre-snap, see the fact that there's six guys on the line of scrimmage and he only has five offensive linemen. He either needs to call an audible or adjust his protection. Okay, this is something basic that any successful NFL quarterback absolutely has to understand and utilize in order to be successful. And yet you've got Tyrod Taylor who's just letting it go. Okay, I know this is the play I called, and I see all of these guys at the line of scrimmage. 
So I'm just going to snap the ball and just hope that nothing bad happens. You do not become an NFL quarterback like that. I, I don't know. And then after the game, it was widely publicized that the Ravens defensive personnel purposely spent the game trying to make Tyrod Taylor make plays from the pocket. It's not yeah. hard to see why. I tried to find that audio. Something there was a audio. I didn't wasn't able to find it, but there was some audio of a Ravens defender saying, "Oh yeah, we're trying to make him play the quarterback position how it's traditionally supposed to be played." Well, yeah, because out of his 111 passing yards, his only explosive plays came when he got outside the pocket. He yeah, there was 30, that nice play to Clay, 33 yard pass to Clay. He had a 14 yard pass to Sammy Watkins. The fact is, is he needs to learn, if he's going to earn a starting quarterback's contract in the NFL, that you have to stand in the pocket and deliver the ball. But you, but there's more nuances to it than that. You have to be able to read a defense. You have to be able to see who's on the defensive line. You know, that's what made Tom Brady. It's what made Peyton Manning. It's what makes Aaron Rodgers and all of these guys great, is that they see what the defense is giving them and they make changes. If Tyrod can't do that, then we'll be looking for another quarterback quickly because he just... He can't care. Teams will game plan for the fact that he's not willing to change from his pre-snap reads. It's uh, it's brutal. So that brings us to my hero and zero of the game. You know, we do it every week. This week's hero, the award goes to Jerry Hughes. Because they're winners. Winners get to do what they want. Hughes was a one-man show on the defensive line. I mean, he pretty much had to be. No one else could get any pressure on their own enough to the quarterback to make an impact. And everyone else was injured. <laughs> we are going to need Jerry Hughes to be stellar this season while we try to get through the first four to six weeks because the most impactful players on our defensive line aren't there. But I am encouraged by what I saw on Sunday because he found ways to just constantly be in the backfield. And the zero of the week, that award goes to Greg Roman. You it would be too easy for me to just rehash all the criticism I just piled into Tyrod Taylor. When in reality, the job of the offensive coordinator is to maximize the output of their offense and utilize the talent that they've got on hand. You know, make adjustments to what you see against the opposing defense. Considering the amount of run blitzing the Ravens were count, you know, were countering our running attack with, you would think, I mean, Chris, you're not an X's and O's guy, but if you know that someone's coming to take away the strength of what you do, Okay, let's do some things that might counteract that. You know, one would think a few design draw plays, running back screens would have done more to stop their defense from run blitzing. You know, I that, didn't see any of that. You know, that totally reminded me of something I had said last week when you just said run draw plays. Eric Turner put out a tweet that when we played the Ravens in thirteen, we ran a couple, We had a draw running scheme for that game, and we racked up over two hundred yards on the ground. I have to ask, are you dating Eric Turner? Because you talk about him a lot. Hey, where else am I going to get the X's and O's? <laughs> I can't come over to your place and watch all 22 with you and you explain everything to me. No. God, you would no. just get irritated. So I can just watch videos that Eric makes <laughs> He's on right, his folks. free time. If but let, let's not forget, Eric's an idiot. <laughs> right? Remember the tweet? Eric, um, you're not, we don't think you're an idiot. We're uh, referring to that tweet. Well, guys, if anybody out, else out there, casual fan, you want to see what's going on with the actual X's and O's behind some of these plays and get really get to know what's going on down in the field, cover1.net. Check it out. It's a great website. And so that brings me to our AFC East Roundup. So we know how the Bills fared. We're starting out the season 0-1. 
How did the rest of our division do? Well, first off, it starts with the Dolphins. They played a tough fought game against the Seahawks and lost a close one 12 to 10 on the road in Seattle. I think we both thought that that was amazing that they were that close. I thought it was going to be a massacre, but their defense was impressive, and the Seahawks really struggled to move the ball offensively for most of the game. Kenny Stills could have had that game for them. Oh, he could deep, have. That deep mm. ball off the hands. He had <sighs> about three to, three to five yards on the defender. I will say that the most impressive thing of the game was how well Miami's defensive line contained the rushing attack of Seattle. Now, anybody who's watched Seattle play which I'm assuming is everybody, knows that the rushing attack is almost more so keyed by the quarterback than anything else. You know, they they have a way of getting him on these option runs where, you know, he's, he's the perfect – Russell Wilson is the perfect blend of – he's got the body size for it. Tyrod Taylor is a very sm- – I don't want to say a very small guy, but he's got a small frame, you know, for being six feet tall. Russell Wilson, on the other hand, is very muscular. He's heavy, but he's still fast. And so that's what they incorporate into their rushing attack, and that's usually what chews teams up, is the fact that they run an option offense where they'll fake the handoff to the running back, and then their quarterback gets you gets six or seven, eight yards on a quarter designed quarterback running play. Instead, Miami's defensive line, by themselves, just contained the rush game against the Seahawks, which is why the score was so close. You know, that game could have easily turned into a blowout if their D-line didn't take over that game. And I was thoroughly impressed. But at the end of the day, low-scoring games like that usually come down to a handful of plays. So at the tw- on a 27-yard field goal, <laughs> Marcus Hunt blocks a field goal. Okay, 27-yard field goal gets blocked and in the fourth quarter, and that was... That was probably the closest the Dolphins came to winning that football game. I mean, they had it. They had it right there in the crosshairs. But then you let a field goal get blocked. And I think that that gave, the, you know, it gave Seattle a spark. And from there on, I mean, they, must, they struggled to get anything going on the ground you know, offensively. The Miami Dolphins really struggled to do anything on the offensive side of the ball. They couldn't run the ball. They threw the ball to Jarvis Landry a ton. I think he had eight receptions, but he didn't crack 75 yards. The fact is, is they just don't have enough playmakers and offense to run the style of offense that I think they're trying to, which I think could hurt them in the long term. Plus, I think uh, Mario got injured with he's in like uh, ego protocol, or is that, <laughs> or is that, or is, that or is that is that concussion protocol? He's in something. Oh, I'm sh- and I'm sure I'm sure Dolphins fans won't see him again until week five, but uh, you know he'll be what. Don't worry, he'll tell you when he's ready to come back. Don't tell me I told you so. It'll be interesting to see how the Dolphins fare against the New England Patriots, who do seem to be a little bit more vulnerable through the air. You know, their cornerbacks aren't as good as the Seahawks. How, of, I'm just saying, just going into the next game, Arizona New England from Sunday night. How mad were you? Oh, dude, I could have I could have eaten the neck off this beer bottle that I'm holding in my hand right now. My friend Travis had to talk me off the ledge. New England, in disappointing fashion, not only hung with the Arizona Cardinals on Sunday night, but spent most of the game flat out out playing them on their way to a 23-21 victory. Now, in what seems like the most unfair part of the entire ordeal, it seems like you can simply plug anybody in at quarterback for the Patriots, and, is, and they can give you a decent quarterback performance. 
Jimmy Garoppolo had a 72% completion percentage, 264 yards and no interceptions against one of the what are perceived to Honey be Badger Peterson. What are perceived to be one of the best defenses in football. Dude, you know, I'll tell you, you know what? Today I was listening to Clay Travis uh, Fox Sports Radio. Some there's a, he does a segment called I hate Trey Cla- I I hate Clay Travis and somebody called in and was talking about this game and he claimed that Brady would be garbage elsewhere and that Belichick's system is a plug and play system. I I very much believe that. Look at what Matt Castle did. Who what Jimmy Garoppolo is doing right now. Right now I don't know. I came into this game assuming that it they would just get stomped. Okay, and the fact that they came out of there with a W is ridiculous to me. I've now, heard, I've heard now they get to go home and they get to play Miami. And if Jimmy Garoppolo proves that that wasn't a fluke and that he can actually play like that, it's very certain that the Pats could actually be four and zero by the time Tom Brady comes back. Exactly, because not only are they home to Miami. The following two games are at home. Yeah, they have home field advantage now. So, I don't know. It's it was disappointing because you know I, I get up for work at five thirty. So it was disappointing to get up. That was the first thing I grabbed my phone, laying in bed, waking up at five thirty. What happened Sunday night? Because I would have loved to see that the AFC East went zero and four. Well, that's why I sobered up during that game because I was so I was just so disappointed by the fact that the Patriots were winning that I actually just stopped drinking, and I just sat there and watched. I just watched them just take it away. All I know is it'll be interesting to see whether New England can keep this up. By all accounts, I don't know why they couldn't. Because they, that's their one area of weakness in the AFC East is, I believe Miami at least has one game all year against the Patriots. Right. It seems like every year, the last four or five years, Miami's we'll at see, least taken I, one. I think that if Garoppolo plays the way he played on Sunday night, I don't think the Dolphins have a chance. So that leads us to the last team in the AFC East, the New York Jets. Kyle Smith. No, he's not going to be serviceable. He sucks. AFC East Bros Podcast. He's just like a big doofus. Kyle, how are you doing tonight? Uh, yeah, man, you know, I was doing okay prior to hearing that last song. Oh, please, don't play it. Just stop. <laughs> we had, Kyle, we had to. I sent Drew a text today. I was like, dude, I got that Fitzmagic parody song. Do you want me to play that tonight when we have Kyle on? He said, absolutely. So, Kyle. You know, that, that song, let me, let me just let me give you guys a little bit of background about that song. So, you know, Jets fans were kind of on the fence about Fitz for the majority of last season. I, at one point, the Jets were 5-5. Five and five, But then when they went on that run, when they won five straight games, it was Fitz magic land. Everyone loved him. Everyone was in love with him. And probably maybe the most popular Jets podcast out there, Let's Talk Jets, they were playing it like every little sound bit. They would drop it maybe five, six times a show. Everyone, Every time someone brought up his name. And that same show, this is right before the Buffalo Week 17 matchup, um, one of the, the producer of that show, who I have a tremendous amount of respect for, but he made um, a, a soundbite of Rex Ryan, you know, where he's 
it's like a, a like a montage of Rex Ryan clips where he's just talking about man, it doesn't get any worse than that. Like you know, after like Rex Ryan got blown out in a couple of games, and it was like um, Jimi Hendrix Buffalo Soldier music playing in the background, basically making fun of the Bills. Lo and behold, what happened? Fitzpatrick tossed three interceptions in the fourth quarter, and you never heard that Rex Ryan montage again. Oh, and no. you didn't really hear the Fitz Magic montage again for a while after that either. Well, yeah, and even last – I mean, I listened to your podcast this morning, and yesterday, yesterday on your podcast, you were like, I do not like Fitzpatrick. Oh, uh, So, folks, on Sunday, the Jets opened up their season at home against the Cincinnati Bengals. It was a back-and-forth affair that ended in a heartbreaking, game-winning drive by Cincinnati. Now, just to kick things off, A.J. Green, okay, he he was the driving force behind that loss. 12 catches, 180 yards, and a touchdown. He torched Revis multiple times, showing Revis's lack of deep speed. And I think his hips just might be catching up with him at this point in his career. I mean, people have talked about people have talked about his decline for years, and this is what Rex Ryan had to say on the matter this week during his presser from BuffaloBills.com. If he's slipped at all as a player, he's coming down from the very tip of, of Everest. That's that's where he'd be coming down from. So how far down, I'm not sure, but I know one thing: he's, you know, I know the kind the kind of player he is. Now, Kyle, where do you think Darrell Revis is at this point in his career? I think he's very good at what he does. If you ask him to do certain things, particularly in the underneath game, the short routes, the intermediate routes, he could do a fine job. He's a fine tackler. Still, I know he missed a, a tackle on Green, and Green's not the he's not the toughest guy in the world to bring down, but he's no. very solid at certain things. But where you continually see Revis getting exposed is on deep patterns, whether it's a post, whether it's a corner route, um, a deep out, maybe a not so much a deep dig. Or just a go route. You know, he's really lost. He's never been a very fast guy. You know, he never ran a 40 at the combine. Uh, he ran one at his pro day, and those numbers always seem to be inflated. But he was kind of like, a, I would say, maybe like a high 4-4 guy. You know, torn ACL, you know, lots of tread on the tires. He doesn't have that deep downfield speed. And what plays are popping out the most in our heads over the past couple seasons? You think back to, you know, the Jordy Nelson, where Jordy Nelson – you know, ran a slant and Revis couldn't catch up with him. You think about, you know, when Hopkins ran that deep post. You think about when Sammy Watkins ran that go route on the Thursday night game last year. You think about, um, you know, A.J. Green running this go pattern in this past game. You know, where he's really losing is these deep downfield patterns. And let's be honest, that's a game-changing play. When you give up a 54-yard touchdown, that can just blow the doors off the game. Yep. And – the Jets really, really, really need to, you know, find a different way to use him. He's still effective. He's still good. Probably still a top 10 corner in my mind. But, you know, as Rex said, you know, falling off Mount Everest, you know, he was number one at a certain point in time, and it wasn't even close. People, only his third year in the league, people were talking about, this guy can be a Hall of Famer. He's that darn good. But he's nowhere close to that anymore. But how far has he fallen off is the question. Well, one of the things you just had touched on there about his his defending deep patterns, it seems like maybe that's something Greg Roman does tomorrow night in third and long situations. I think that Greg Roman would be smart to do that. Even if Sammy Watkins isn't 100%, which I don't think that he is. You guys watch the game. 
Drew, Chris, maybe you guys watched the All-22 tape of the Bills game. I haven't gotten a chance to do that yet. But to me, every time I was watching Sammy Watkins, particularly when he was getting up, he seemed to be getting up slowly. You know, and I... To me, I attribute that to maybe he's favoring his foot. He doesn't want to put a lot of pressure on it. You know, after the, the big adrenaline rush of the play is over, you know, he, and that soreness kind of settles in, you know, he's slow to get up. I don't know if you guys are well, seeing the same exact thing. I've seen it, but we've got, we're going to cover all that in a few minutes here, but we're going to wrap up this, uh, as part of, part of our AFC East roundup. So the Jets in this game, Revis torched by Green. The Jets' rushing attack did pretty much all of the heavy lifting this week. Do you agree? Yeah, they didn't run them enough, especially Bilal Powell. And what I'm saying, what, what boggled my mind as I'm watching the game and I'm live tweeting it is Matt Forte, he looked pretty good, but he's 30 years old. He might look this good in week one, but in week 11, week 12, he's not going to look like the same. And LaDainian Tomlinson was a back, a, a very storied back, had a very good career, very good in the receiving game as well as the running game. You know, lots of Jets fans were making that comparison. LT slowed down in the latter half of both of his mm-hmm. seasons with the Jets because they wore him down. And I'm seeing right now the same game plan. It's only one game into the season, but why do you only give Bilal Powell four carries? Why? Bilal Powell had 41 rushing yards on three carries. Every single carry, he was gaining lots of yards. To me, that doesn't make sense. So, yes, when they were running, they were running effectively, but they didn't have enough balance running the football, in my mind. Well, and that was what I was going to ask, because I see that Fitzpatrick only threw for 189 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. Now, I know you say only two touchdowns. Well, Dalton, on the other hand, threw for 366 yards. I mean, I feel like Dalton is the quarterback who more kind of took over that game. Now, when you look at the Jets were penalized seven times for 95 yards. I didn't personally watch every snap of the game. How did that affect the game as a whole? I don't think penalties affected the Jets too much. In fact, they got a lot of favorable calls going their way as well. There was one where Brandon Marshall got called for an offensive pass interference, which I think was a bogus call. It's literally one of those plays that will happen to a receiver all the time, and especially the way he plays. If you're a he's big very phys- physical. Yeah, if you're a big physical receiver, you always have to be leery of that offensive P.I. call because yeah, those, I mean, those refs are waiting to throw the flag for it. And then, yeah, that's, a type, that's a type of call that Rob Gronkowski gets quite frequently. Duh. And then the game ended on another Fitzpatrick interception when your team was desperate for a big play. Is this a cause for concern amongst Jets fans? Do you get the feeling that after doing your podcast last night and talking to Jets fans, is anyone openly concerned about the fact that when, it, when the moment is huge and you need your quarterback to come through for you, Fitzpatrick just finds a way to put it into the other team's hands. You know you can always go to your brother for consolement since we know how that feels as Bills fans. I'm sure he's going to make me feel great about it. Um, Well, I am not a Ryan Fitzpatrick fan at all. I never have been. You listen to our podcast episodes. I never, ever jumped on that bandwagon. You said it last night. I said it last night as well. But that throw, I'm actually not going to blame Fitz for the Jets not being able to succeed on that potential game-winning drive. I blame that more on Brandon Marshall because the Jets had no timeouts. They had basically less than a minute to operate. You know, and when you have that little amount of time, you know, naturally you're going to try to throw to the sidelines more often, you know, because you want to get your guys out of bounds to keep the clock stopped. 
Now, the Jets were a little testy early on in that drive. On first down, Fitz unloads one to Brandon Marshall. Hits him right in the breadbasket, and he's got he's got room. If he catches the ball, it's not like he's going to get crushed by his safety immediately. And what happened? He did what Brandon Marshall does. He dropped the ball. For as good as he is, Brandon Marshall had 10 drops last season, and that's kind of common in his career. He's always near the top of the league in terms of drops. Um, and that completely changed the dynamic of the drive. Okay, Brandon Marshall, you know, he drops that ball. You're not going to run him on the same route the very next pattern. The defense is going to be expecting it. Um, I forget what happened exactly on the second down play, but eventually, you know, 15, 20 seconds later, you only got 30 seconds left to game clock. You can't really test the field that much. Eventually, you got to go to the sideline. Now, I'm not going to say it was a great throw by Fitzpatrick. It certainly wasn't. Decker did have a chance on the ball, but it was just, it was excellent coverage. Fitz needed to make something happen, and it just didn't go the Jets' way. And if Marshall ca- caught that ball, you know, how does that change the dynamic of what plays are called in, um, in the very next down? So I really don't blame that one on Fitz as much as Marshall. Cool. No, that's some solid analysis. I mean, I not being able to watch every play of the game because I'm so busy researching the Bills, it's it's good to hear it from somebody else because when I see it, I'm like, God, that had to be crushing. To hear that it's not exactly Fitz's fault, I mean, it's <laughs> to see to hear from someone who actually watches it, that's why we have you here. You know what I mean? That's why we want to hear it from you. We want to hear things like this. And I'm sure our fans do as well. Because we want to know the inner workings of your team since we're about to play you guys. And so that brings us right into our week two preview. Buffalo Bills versus the New York Jets. Thursday night football. Now let's run it down. New Era Field, 8.30 p.m. The weather. It's going to be about 71 degrees. A light breeze. It's supposed to be a clear night. Halftime performance, there's going to be a Ring of Honor induction ceremony for Bruce Smith. And the official is going to be none other than my friend, Ed Hockley. Oh, God. It's painful. That that hack is going to be officiating our game, Kyle. He will be, and I, I hope that it works in our favor. I don't know, I don't know Drew. I mean... I can't think of any particular calls where Ed Hockley has done the Jets dirty, um, but clearly he had it out for the Bills in the preseason. Has he done? Is this a thing that he's done to the Bills in the regular season before? No, I had no reason to dislike Ed Hockley until I started digging into the fact that he just did. Uh, the, just the fact that he didn't, like he had reckless abandon with flags. Like he just. Uh, he's throwing flags all preseason and into the into last season. It was brutal. We did get that tweet earlier in the week from uh, a brand new Bills podcast, the Right Here, Right Now podcast, and they had get asked us for over-under uh, penalties since we had tweeted out that Hockey Lee was going to be the referee, and Drew responded with a tweet, and then I responded more specifically that the Bills were going to have 12 penalties, seven were going to be at halftime by halftime, and that Drew would leave at the half because he's just going to be so mad at Ed Hockley, which I do not put that past, Drew, because you did that for the Browns game. I've done a lot of things. I've done a lot of things I'm not proud of. <laughs> Leaving that game at halftime is one of them. But it was necessary because I was subjecting the rest of the crowd to my negative energy. No one needs that. Right, Kyle? Hey, I, do you I want agree, to sit next? Chris, Chris does not let you live that down. No, because you know what, Chris. Can't no, because I I go to one game a year and I buy tickets with that ex hoe I was with, and 
we sat directly behind Drew so I could visually so I, I really didn't want to watch the Bills game. I wanted to watch Drew watch the Bills game, and I didn't. I got that for a half, and he didn't like how our offense performed, so he left. No, what I didn't like was I thought I honestly saw, I saw it happening. I saw the six to three game occurring again. I was like, I'm not sitting through another one of these. I will be out in the parking lot. Those are horrible to watch. And I've seen a fair amount of Jets games where they've only put up single digits or they've gotten shut out in recent years. Think back to the San Diego game. Rex's last year, we lost 0-31. to The last time we played the Bengals, we lost 49-9. Those games suck. But to your guys' point about Ed Hockley and the amount of penalties, just think back to last regular season for the Buffalo Bills. What week were they just going AWOL with penalties? It was week two against the divisional foe that is the New England Patriots at home. Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't the home opener, but it was, you know, obviously still early on in the season. Rex's guys were so fired up, and they were a little too fired up for their own good. And, you know, I know that some people have just tried to dispel the myth of Rex Ryan penalties. Um, you know, and maybe they go into some type of statistical analysis, but. I do think that Rex's teams throughout the years have been a little bit undisciplined. Uh, what's your guys' thoughts on that? I think he coaches his guys to play with some fire. and that's So that's the line you have to learn to walk. If your guys are going to get penalties, I feel like that is the onus of Rex Ryan. He wants you to play hard. And, if, and that's where the line gets blurry because you're talking about you're pushing your players to play as hard as they can. And he's telling his players, listen, I'll take any. I'll take shots for you. Okay. Someone criticizes you, they got to go through me. They're going to criticize me first for being the coach of you that you made that shitty play. So, I think he almost enables. He he's an enabler. You know, he sees these guys and he says, "Listen, take some liberties. If we get the W, it doesn't matter." But it sucks in games like that New England game when those penalties directly lead to your loss. Do you think that? That players take that into effect when they find out who's officiating, knowing how they call plays. Like cause we did that piece on Ed Hockley two weeks ago, and how he calls basically a whole football field more in penalties. Do you think that like somebody like Jerry Hughes coming into Thursday night? Okay, Ed Hockley is calling the game. You know, I know he calls a tight game and doesn't let players play. Do you think like he takes any consideration into that? I don't think Jerry Hughes ever thinks about penalties. I nope. mean, that guy just seems to get a penalty every single game. Yep. You know, you think back to that he was the player of the game for the Buffalo Bills against the Ravens, had a great yep. game, but he still had a stupid penalty in the game. Yep. He just flat out like he's that guy, and you just have to live with the – you have to take the good with the bad, you know? But so hopefully Ed Hockley doesn't dictate the game too much, but I'll tell you what will is the injury reports. Now, Buffalo. Out, Colt Anderson, cornerback. Especially, he's mostly a special teamer, but he was supposed to be one of our main special teams contributors. Out of nowhere, he see he played in the last preseason game, and then out of nowhere, he developed this foot problem, and he hasn't he hasn't played since. Cordy Glenn obviously went down with an ankle. The Bills have already decided he's not going to play, so Cujo's going to get his first start of the season. Considering the competition we're going to face in the defensive line, his success is absolutely paramount to our offense. Is this even, is this his first start of his career? I think it's might no. He actually started. Eh, nah. Is it? I I don't know. I know he played some last year. 
Was it a start, though? I don't think it was. This could be his first start of his career. Jeez. But he's be- we know he's better on the left side because of his the knee. The knee. And you guys even touched on that last night on your podcast. Your uh, six foot three, two sixty five lean brother. Jesus had- Christ! Do you want to blow the guy or what? <laughs> yeah, I do. So he he move- mentioned it. So then, moving on, questionable. We've got Jim Dre, tight end, ankle. Charles Clay, tight end, knee. There's no word on who will or won't be playing out of these two. But if they both miss the game, we're only going to have one active tight end on the roster. Baby hands. Oh, my God. Baby Hans O'Leary. They're both listed as limited participants on Tuesday, and I don't know what we're going to do if we can't at least have two healthy tight ends come this game. Then we move on to Jarrell Worthy. He's out with a knee injury. Well, he suffered a knee injury, but he's already said he's confident that he'll play against the Jets. So I think we might have dodged a bullet. And then, as we talked about earlier in the show, Sammy Watkins with his foot. He says he'll play. They've questioned. They, they've tagged him as questionable. I don't see any reason why he's not out there on the field. Now we get to where it gets interesting. The New York Jets. Jordan Jenkins and this calf injury. He missed two practices this week. And per head coach Todd Bowles, it's unlikely he'll play. And the Mike Capitano will start in his place. Now, you, Kyle, more than anybody can tell me. Jordan Jenkins, what is the defense missing without him? You're missing a guy who's solid at setting the edge. You know, he's never going to kill anyone with a pass rush, but, you know, he's going to set the edge and he'll give you a little bit more in the pass rush department than a Calvin Pace would because Calvin Pace was always kind of slow for the Jets, but he was definitely on his last legs. Um, the kid brings fire. He plays really hard. You know, he was like a, pretty much from day one of training camp, he was penciled into the starting lineup, kind of like uh, Reggie Raglan, and he didn't disappoint. You know, he was, you know, jumping, making interceptions. He's an SEC guy, so Drew, I'm, I'm sure that you're oh, familiar yeah. with him. Oh, I know Jordan Jenkins. Yeah, no, he was, he's, he's solid. He's a solid player. He's never going to be flashy. He doesn't have that Jerry Hughes burst off the edge, not even close. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what you're missing with him. Now, um, Catapano is a different player. He might give you a little bit more in the pass rush department. Probably not really, though, but uh, he's, he's definitely a, a drop-off from Jordan Jenkins. But, yes, Jenkins did not play last week, and um, he did not play in the fourth preseason game either. This is something that's been bothering him for a couple weeks now. Um, it looks like he'll probably go against Kansas City, but on this short week, there is no way that he's going to play. Oh, yeah. And then you got David Harris, inside linebacker. Now, He's been limited this week with a shoulder injury, but it looks like he's going to play through it. I want to see how effective he can be in in run defense while nursing an injury. Now, as a Jets fan, is this a pre-existing injury or is this something he developed this week? Yeah, he hurt his uh, shoulder tackling Shane Vereen in the Giants preseason game week three of the preseason. Okay. Um, but David Harris is a warrior, and you know we saw him play last week. I didn't personally notice any drop off. You know, the dude is just solid. He's a solid tackler. He's not a great coverage guy. He's good at blitzing. You know, he, he is what he is. And you know, I, I cannot think of a single tackle that he missed. And one thing that the dude plays whistle to whistle, he's very good at pursuing people as well. He's good at recognizing screens. So he's instrumental to this Jets defense. Um, but I haven't seen any this week. But I mean, I'll be honest. Us Bills fans are dreaming to think that he wouldn't suit up for this game. I fully expect to see him out there. And so does the head coach, Todd Bowles, per New Jersey dot, well, NJ.com. But I want to ask you, 
A limited or half-speed Muhammad Wilkerson, what is he worth? I noticed that out of all the guys in the defensive line, I mean, he still appeared to be his old self. Do you think that injury is going to hamper him at all? No, I don't because, you know, initially some people were saying, oh, it's turf toe. And turf toe is a nasty old thing. We like to think back to Darren McFadden, Mm -hmm. who he was the Oakland Raiders running back. This would sideline him for weeks, if not months. But that's not the case with Muhammad Wilkerson. He does not have turf toe. It seemed to be some type of toenail injury, which, you know, those can certainly suck. Yeah, no one likes to have that. But, but that's not going to really it. hamper you played an football. elite defensive lineman. You played football. I played football. How many times did you break a finger, break a toe, you hurt something? You know what I mean? Like, the football is not a comfortable game. <laughs> You're not wrapped in bubble tape out there. Things hurt. Well, you bring up turf toe. Can we get your dad on the line? Didn't <laughs> Didn't Jack Lambert's career end because of turf toe? It's a great question, Chris. One which I cannot answer a little bit before my time, but I'm sure my pops would know a little bit something about that. I'm about 85% sure that's why Jack Lambert's career ended was because of turf toe. Well, thank God for modern science. So now I want to get on to the meat and potatoes of this whole preview section of the New York Jets-Buffalo Bills game coming up tomorrow night. It starts with my offensive scouting report. Now, I took some time to go over some of the stats and some of the tape from your game last Sunday. First off, the red zone offensive struggles. Five trips to the red zone, the Jets only scored twice. What do you think contributed to this? And is it something that the Bills might be able to replicate with the state of our defense? This is interesting because, you know, one big point that a lot of people, you know, use to justify or resigning Ryan Fitzpatrick and basically, you know, caving into his demands of wanting $12 million is the fact that the Jets were actually very efficient in the red zone last year, which in years past, they were anything but. They were horrible in the red zone. And by most uh, metrics, the Jets ranked third in terms of red zone efficiency last year in terms of punching in touchdowns. They were certainly good in the red zone last year, but we didn't see that this past week. Um, some of it was bad play calling, horrible play calling in my opinion. Um, we all know Fitz likes to run down on the goal line. You, you think back to the Houston touchdown last year when the Jets went to Houston. Ryan Fitzpatrick scrambles into the end zone on like a QB drawish type of play, and he just gets cold cocked by one of the linebackers or safeties, and he gets up, and you you thought, oh, Ryan Fitzpatrick has a concussion. You know, he just, his eyes were kind of like rolling to the back of his head. Amazingly, he didn't. He runs one of those types of plays, and he gets down to the half a yard line. And I'm thinking, okay, the Jets now just need a QB sneak it. That's mm-hmm. that's what you do when you're that close. Mm-hmm. Whether you have your quarterback, you know, do the Drew Brees where you, you or the Tom Brady where you jump over the pile and just reach, or you just have your running back push you from behind. That's what you do there. Instead, they chose to uh, hand it off to Matt Forte, who's a pretty good running back, but he's not much of a goal line back. Never really has been that. The Jets didn't punch it in after that, and then they ended up kicking a field goal there. And there was Man. another time where um, <clears throat> Fitz threw a bad fade route to um, Brandon Marshall and. You could say maybe Drake Kirkpatrick kind of mugged him a little bit and maybe could have been called for pass interference, but he wasn't. It wasn't a good throw, and Marshall probably didn't run his best route either. Um, there was another time when Eric Decker um, ran. I think he was running like a, an out route in the end zone, and he did not win off the line of scrimmage. Um, usually he does win that. And so these are things that you usually don't see from the Jets. Decker is one of the best red zone receivers. So it was a little alarming. You have to wonder, you know, after studying the Jets for an entire offseason, 
Are teams starting to key on what they do well in the red zone? It's only one game, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens going forward. Well, that's, and that's one of the things that I'm most interested in is how does your team perform? I mean, you look at the kicking. <laughs> I, I got to break your balls over it. So kicking and special teams. Kind of like how the Dolphins, as we were talking earlier, the Jets also had a 27-yard field goal attempt blocked, as well as a missed extra point. Now, those points would have proven to be invaluable considering the score of the game. The The question becomes, are you worried about Folk? Well, Nick Folk, I guess is how it's pronounced down downstate. Or do you think... This performance last week is more of an outlier. I believe when we had you on in December, we asked you about your grievances with the Jets, and you had said special teams coach Bobby April, who was no longer there, and now we're already one week into the season, and you have a little bit of uh, special teams trouble. Yeah, but it's for different reasons, though. You know, The Jets were just horrible in every single area of special teams last year. They couldn't punt. They couldn't kick. They couldn't cover everything. They gave up three or four punt returns for touchdowns last year. That's horrible to give up that much in a season. Um, they couldn't punt. Ryan Quigley would shank a punt 15 yards. I think he did one of that in the Week 17 Buffalo game. Um, the Jets have seemed to nail their punter in Lachlan Edwards' seventh-round pick. He's been amazing. But to your question, Drew, about Nick Folk, I've really never been a huge Folk fan. I have to be honest. And here's why. Nick Folk has made some game winners throughout his career. You guys will know this. Uh, it was some either Sunday night football or Monday night football. Monday night football, Dallas. We had no offensive touchdown in the game. <laughs> and the Dallas Cowboys came storming back in that game, and it's Nick Folk who wins a game-winning field goal, which was probably like a 50-something-yard kick. 47. He's made a couple in the postseason. He beat the Colts in a wild-card round on a game-winner. You know, he's had a couple other really big kicks. Uh, that When we played Dallas um, in on September 11th, the 10th-year anniversary – he hit a 56-yarder to win the game. So he's done that, and in Jets' minds, they kind of have a warped uh, view of Nick Folk. They think that he's the Folk hero, as your coach, Rex Ryan, <laughs> coined it one time. But he's really not that because for me with a kicker, I want a guy that I know, okay, here's his distance. He can hit from 50 and under, no problem. You don't got to worry about that because in in, if I know that that's the case, I have no problem kicking the ball. But if it's anything over 50, okay, maybe I'll, I'll just go for it on fourth down. I'll take mm-hmm. my chances. Mm-hmm. But Nick Folk has always had a history of shanking short kicks, 35-yarders, 40-yarders, kicks that he should make. And, you know, Jets fans, they seem to forget about those kicks because, you know, they're not at the last seconds of the game. Sometimes they don't make the highlight reel of SportsCenter because it happened earlier on. But when you're playing catch-up later in the game, those points matter. Three points at the end of the game is the same as three points earlier on in the game. And he shanked a 33-yard extra point. You guys know about that. Dan Carpenter oh, did that, Jesus. what, seven times last year? Oh, my God. it was It's unbelievable. Didn't when he miss a 40, He missed a 47 on Sunday, right? Yeah. Oh, no. He missed a 47-yarder on Sunday. And it was just one of those things where you're like, hey, Kyle, maybe you shouldn't be our kicker anymore. Kyle, we hate 47-yard field goals. And I bring that up because 47 yards was the distance for Scott Norwood. <laughs> I knew exactly where you were going with that as soon as you said it, man. All I know is that so it sounds an awful lot like this kicking thing. You're concerned about it. 
I am a little bit. I, I've always been slightly bit concerned that whenever Nick Folk is making a short kick, he's always have the ability to shank it. All right. So moving on, we're going to talk about the rushing attack. Again, this is from my offensive scouting report, just reading the stats, watching what I see. 103 of the 159 yards of rushing that the New York Jets gained against the Cincinnati Bengals came off of right guard and right tackle, with Matt Forte doing the majority of the damage. Now, I think it's interesting that the Jets are actually rotating right tackles throughout the course of a game. You know, they they haven't played just one set right tackle, and yet they're still seeing that kind of success. Was that just a mismatch against the Bengals, or do you think that the right side of your offensive line might be better than people, Jets fans included, were giving it credit for in the preseason? I think that it just kind of caught the Bengals off guard, to be honest, more so than anything. I don't know that the Jets were just opening up holes as much as the Bengals were, you know, they were worried about getting a pass rush on Fitz because they know that he gets the ball quick. And they were worried about stopping the Jets' main threats in Decker and Marshall, which they did a great job of doing that. So I think it threw, threw them off a little bit. But I will say this about tackle. You guys know that I absolutely loathe Breno Giacomini. Yep. And the reality is, is he's not in there. Our and intro. We've seen an instant upgrade. Our intro is you talking about Breno Giacomini. You're like, he's not serviceable. He's, he's just a – what did you call him? What did you say? He's a big doofus? Yeah, he's just a big doofus out there. He is. I mean, he's, he's, he picks fights with people and then he can't ever back it up. He, he's absolutely dreadful. In pass protection, you know, it kind of reminds you of another Jets tackle in recent years, one which you guys signed last year, Wayne Hunter. Now, he didn't really play for the Buffalo Bills, no, but thank he God. was horrific. And Breno kind of at times, his inability to pass protect kind of reminds you of Wayne Hunter a little bit. So the fact is, is do you think that your right side of the offensive line, because I, when I heard you guys were rotating tackles, I perceived that as a weakness, and I'm sure other Bills fans do as well. Is that actually the case, or do you think that there's some strength there that we're not seeing? I think that we've seen a, a slight upgrade, but it's just addition by subtraction. You're getting rid of Breno, and naturally you're getting better. But I will agree with you, Drew, that I, I do think that's a weakness. I don't like this rotating nonsense. And that's something that you see in college more. Right? So I remember, I remember way back when Ohio State was doing that with their quarterbacks. And our, my dad, who's an Ohio State fan, he absolutely you know, hated it. He's like, you know, the quarterback's not getting time to gel with his receivers. But offensive line probably more than any other position group, needs that time to gel with one another. They need to be able to, you know, okay, when are we going to double team and go off the double team so one of us can climb to the linebacker? Exactly. You need that rapport with other linemen. So if you're rotating constantly, when will you ever get that? No, I don't, I don't know. That, that's a very good point. And then I took a look at – so moving on from the rushing attack, I took a look at the passing game from last week. This was my takeaway. After looking at the numbers, even though Fitzpatrick didn't light it up in the passing game, something interesting. Everyone out there listening to this podcast knows that the Jets have two great wide receivers on the outside. They've got Marshall and they've got Decker. Yet, they were targeted a combined 15 times and only managed five completions for 69 yards and a touchdown. That's a 33% completion rate when you're throwing to the two best targets on your team. Meanwhile... This relative unknown, tight end, turned wide receiver, Quincy Anunwa. Hopefully I'm not butchering that. 
was targeted by himself eight times, resulting in seven receptions, 54 yards, and a touchdown. Now, you as a Jets fan, I have to ask, is that an example of Fitzpatrick just taking what's given to him, or do you think that he's actually building a rapport with the young guy? And do you think that's a role that Anun was going to maintain throughout the course of the year? I think it's a little bit of both. And when you think about Jets that are the most improved player, Quincy Anun was the first one that comes to mind. And I'm sure that you guys can think of a couple of Bills that have just, you know, made an amazing leap in terms of their production from rookie year to um, what they where they are now. Sorry, so, sorry, sorry, sorry. Hang on. If we're talking about the Bills offensively, I didn't get to see anybody do anything last week. <laughs> <laughs> But continue. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But I just meant in general, in general. It doesn't have to be last week. But, okay, so Quincy was a six-round pick coming out of Nebraska. He was a receiver. He had about 12 touchdowns or so, but he was extremely raw. Only ran a couple patterns at Nebraska. Um, he had very, very questionable hands, and we even saw that last year. You know, there was a couple huge drops that he had. I think he had one in the Buffalo game. He also had one in the Dallas game late in the season. But he was a good blocker. And, and uh, Changeli kind of put him into that H-back role, and he thrived in it. But one thing that he made a concerted effort to improve this offseason was his hands, constantly using the jugs machine. And the encouraging thing is you saw him make a lot of those catches straight hands, exactly the way that they teach you to catch the ball. You know, put your hands basically into a triangle and look it in. And he was making those, and, just, and he made one amazing catch where he basically ran a seam route and he had a couple defenders breathing down his neck, and Fitzpatrick hit him in stride. He went up, got it with his hands, and that was an amazing catch. But there's also, you know, so there's a concerted effort for the Jets to give him the ball. Like, if you noticed um, the one touchdown that he had, that was on a pick play. You know, Quincy Nuno basically spent all last year when he was the guy picking off so that, you know, Marshall and Decker could get the touchdowns. This year... Basically, the Jets switched it up a little bit. They said, okay, let's let's throw them off. Everyone's thinking we're going to Decker and Marshall here. And they actually ended up picking off so that a Noonwell could get the touchdown. So it's a little bit that the Jets are making a more concerted effort to get in the ball because they trust him more. But then, you know, obviously Marshall's getting sometimes quadruple covered and actually fits through <laughs> it to him. Fits through it to him one time in quadruple coverage. That's so hilarious. That's just yeah. – Kyle, that's Fitz, that's Fitz being that's, Fitz. That's – just fits being That's fits. fits being fits. I feel like you, you know how they know have those, better than me, man. You know how they have those things where it's like just girl things or just guy things. I feel like we need to start a series of memes that are just Fitzpatrick things, just fits things. <laughs> I don't know if I can bear. <laughs> oh, I, bear it oh I, I threw that ball into triple coverage and it got picked off. Just fits <laughs> things. <laughs> Oh man. So yeah, so there's there's that like okay, so because Fitz, you know, he he likes to go to those guys, but those guys are covered. Okay, let's go to Quincy. So it's a little bit of both. All right. Well, that's fair. And I mean, he's definitely a guy. I guess our defense is going to have to look for. Now, in my scouting the defense, we're going to switch gears here. Linebackers and coverage. Okay. Your linebackers for the Jets have always been known for being generally sound in the run game. But I'll tell you right now, I don't think any of your interior linebackers have ever been known as top-flight talents in pass coverage. Now, unlike the game we just played against the Ravens, who their inside linebackers are triple threats. You know, they can do everything. They can play three downs just across the board. This presents the Bills with a real opportunity to work the intermediate area of the field. 
I mean, during the preseason, I noticed that teams were able to really pick on that. Pick on the fact that your linebackers couldn't cover, cover as fast in space as you would like to. Do you agree that that's a spot that we might be able to exploit? Absolutely, 100%. I was just saying, you know, I was praising David Harris. He's one of my favorites. I have his jersey. You know, I, I've been wearing it for years. I'm very happy that I got that jersey. You know, he's been 10 years with the Jets, but he's never been much of a pass coverage guy. He's a great blitzer, great in the run game. He's a solid guy, great locker room guy, not great in pass coverage. Also, this rookie linebacker that we drafted who theoretically should be good in pass coverage. You know, he's got all the measurables, right? He's supposed to be this new age linebacker. I know, Drew, that you don't like him. Pro Football Focus didn't like his pass coverage grade. And then those statistics, those PFF statistics kind of matched up with what we saw in um, the Cincinnati game this past week because – Darren Lee was covering a backup tight end. This is not Tyler Eifert we're talking about. We're talking about some guy named Usama. I've never heard of this guy ever before. And Darren Lee is covering him, and he basically gives up a 54-yard completion. And it's not just that he gave up the catch. It's that he gave up the catch and then missed the tackle immediately right after, so then the tight end could get many yards after the catch. Now, I don't think that you'll see Darren Lee play as much this week. He played a good amount of snaps, actually more than Aaron Henderson. I think you'll see more Aaron Henderson, Aaron Henderson this week than Darren Lee because Buffalo likes to run the football. And at this point in their career, Aaron Henderson is the better run stuffer than Darren Lee. Now, let's not forget what Drew said in the offseason. The guy is Keith Ellison 2.0. He can suck my ass. That is true <laughs> on Darren Lee, Jets linebacker. That was me talking about Darren Lee, and I'll be honest, I never liked him because I saw him as a small guy who you're asking a water bug to play a game with physical guys. So what's going to happen is, yeah, you're like, oh, well, I have all this speed at linebacker, and that might work in college. At the NFL level, those tight ends will just bowl him over. Those running backs will run him over. You know, I, I can't see a world in which Darren Lee takes Todd Gurley heads up. I can't see a world in which he covers Rob Gronkowski. So the question is, what can he do? He's a jack of all trades, but he's a master of none of them. And we're going to get to see both of those this year. Oh, I know. And they play, you guys play the, uh, the Rams, right? We yeah. do, yeah, yeah. So the Chris, fact, Chris, if we play, if you guys play the Rams, we play the Rams. <laughs> I, I That's like how, how it works. I, I, I could, like how I, Chris is just realizing that our our divisions play the same. I couldn't think. I, I mean, it's, <laughs> so, I, I should have thought of that, but you should have thought five beers in. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa! Somebody caught. Somebody called Kyle a matching week one's output. So five the, beers. So the fact is, is that linebackers and coverage for you guys is one of those. It's a situation where you, none of you guys are masters at it. You know, not like the team we just played. And I feel like that's a thing where the Bills can finally get their vertical passing game going. They don't have to be afraid of the linebackers. Yeah, they're going to come downhill in the running game. That's still their strength. But if you can get over the top of them, they aren't great with carrying those running backs out of the backfield or with the tight end up the seam. But, Drew, my question to you is, can you point out a single game in Tyrod Taylor's career that he was effective throwing over the middle of the field? Oh, God, no. <laughs> I was just beating him to death earlier over the fact that he he sucked. His vision was terrible. He It's almost like he's regressed. Kyle, that's what I've been going over all offseason with Drew when it comes to the Stefan Tyrod, whose contract is 
I want to sign Stefan because I don't trust Tyrod in his his reads. He's not reading the middle of the, middle of the field. That's why you. That's why he only had six interceptions last year because he's not read, well, having to read linebackers. I got to see that this year. So this is worth commenting on. So as I was walking through the the Jets Cincy game, I noticed that the Cincinnati Bengals. One of the things that jumped off the page to me when I looked at the stats. Gio Bernard was the only running back targeted with a pass. And he only finished with four targets, two catches, and five yards. I would, if I'm an offensive coordinator, I would set out to victimize you with my running backs. Is this a product? Is this, is this a product of Hugh Jackson not being there? That's I, I think that's a huge thing. I think Hugh Hugh Jackson not being a part of that since he offense hurts them. But ultimately from a Bills perspective, the fact that you guys faced almost no running back passes gives me some confidence because you have no idea what a running back like LaShawn McCoy against EJ Henderson. Kyle, are you comfortable with that matchup? Um, no, I mean, Shady is a great player and, you know, unless you got Luke Keekley covering, I don't think that there's too many linebackers that's going to be covering Shady that you actually feel comfortable that that linebacker can cover him. So, yes, of course that's a worry. You know, I thought that it was a huge loss for the Bills and a huge advantage for us when we were playing the Bills in Week 17 that Shady didn't go out there. And, you know, he wasn't playing in that game because he absolutely torched us. You know, he was the MVP of that Thursday night football game last year. It's not even close. You know, people like to point to Sammy. People like to point to, you know – I don't know who else. Carlos, because he caught that one pass. Carlos, but it, it was shady, hundred percent. And, and it's Rambo. not just the off. Like, listen, some people will say, "Oh, listen, the offensive line was great. Mm, they were okay." <laughs> they but were shady average. was doing a lot of that work on his own. Well, your off your defensive line is gross. Now, I got to ask you a question, and this is moving on to the next positional kind of breakdown of your defense. Who plays the right? right cornerback position on your defense and who plays strong safety. So Todd Bowles doesn't employ like, okay, like he doesn't have a Seattle Seahawks approach where Richard Sherman's just going to play left corner and he's going to stay there the entire time and he's never going to move. You know, Bowles will track, you know, okay, listen, uh, Darrell Revis is our best corner. So we're going to keep him on AJ green, whether he goes right or left. Um, so he, he moves the corners around. They don't stick to one side of the field. Um, we've been seeing a lot of Marcus Williams, who is kind of a ball hawk, but that's kind of all he is. Um, he's a horrible tackler. Um, and Buster Screen's more so in the slot, which is where he should be. Um, you know, people want to say because of his contract that, oh, he's a top five slot corner. I really don't think that. He's a very middling slot corner in my mind, and he's a very overplayed Jets player, and he's a very penalized player. You want to talk about penalties. I'm not the hugest fan of him. Um, Strong safety would be Calvin Pryor, our first-round pick from the, what was it, the 2014 NFL draft, 18th overall, which we could have taken Teddy Bridgewater at that point, or another guy who I wanted, Brandon Cooks. Instead, we elected to take Calvin Pryor, who's been, listen, he's a pretty good player. He's a pretty good strong safety. Uh, I'm not going to lie, you know, but lots of Jets fans, they love him. They really hype him up. I don't think he's that type of player. He's strictly a box guy. And Rex kind of played him outside the box his rookie year, and he was horrible. Bowles, give credit to Bowles. He played him where he's comfortable, and he thrived in that role. But he's not a safety that can do everything for you. So to answer your question, Calvin Pryor is the strong safety. I like him, but I don't love him. Now, I have to. the reason I ask that is because I think it's important for Bills fans to know 
Because whoever's been hanging out on the right side of the defense for your group, they got roasted by Andy Dalton. I took out A.J. Green's numbers when I broke all this down because he had a monster day all over the field. And what I found after I took out Dalton after I took out Green's numbers, it was interesting. Passing to the left, people not named to people not named AJ. Dalton only completed four passes, sixty-four yards, and a lot of that came off a forty-nine-yard pass to Brandon LaFell. But when throwing to the right side of the defense, he completed five passes, eighty-seven yards. Now, if I add in AJ Green's numbers. It skyrockets. 12 completions, 131 yards, and a touchdown. It would seem that if there's a place to attack the secondary, whoever is hanging out on that right side of the defense, that's the place to get it done. Now, what do you think what do you think causes that? You know what made watching that AJ Green performance even worse is that you had him in fantasy and you were playing me. And not only that, but I actually <laughs> had the chance to select AJ Green before yeah, you, you did. did, right before yeah, you, you did. did, and I passed up on him. Um, which I still, I'm still, I'm not gonna renege on my pick. I'm still, I still like my pick over that. But shoot, my my pick didn't even play for me. But anyway, um, so. I don't attribute it to one player specifically. Um, while Revis did have a, he, let's be honest, he had a bad game. And he don't completed 100% of the passes that he threw to Green when Revis was covering him. There's no way to sugarcoat it. Now, A.J. Green was also out of his mind in that game. There was one time where um, Revis actually had you know blanket coverage on him. And it kind of reminded you of that Prashad Perriman catch that um, he had on Stephon Gilmore. Yes. It was that type of catch that Green had on Revis. He was in the right spot. He just didn't make a play on the ball. Yeah. Really nothing you can do there. Um, But but corner is a concern for the Jets. I think the Jets have pretty good safeties in in Pryor and Gilchrist. I think Revis is a very solid corner. But your second and third corners, who do you really have there? And then Justin Mm -hmm. Burris is probably your fourth corner. He's a rookie, you know. He's a rookie fourth-round pick, so he's still very raw. So cornerback is a position of concern for the Jets. And as much as I, I'm not a fan of Antonio Cromartie, you know, is he better than Marcus Williams at this point in his career? I don't know. I mean, Marcus Williams is still kind of raw in his own right, and he's an undrafted guy. He's an undrafted rookie. So I think that the, the Bengals had a very confusing game plan for the Jets, and that's a, a big reason that they got a lot of those passes. You know, they were doing these weird formations, which apparently is a holdover from Hugh Jackson, where they would only have three down linemen in the middle of the line, and then they would split out the other people. They would have basically two trips formations on both sides of the ball. And Oh, the Death know, Star you, formation. I've heard what, about what's that. It, what did you call it? Called the Death Star Formation. The Death Star Formation. He's like, and, oh, no, no one can stop this. It's the Death Star. And, you know, I mean, I don't. that's not something that an offense can go out and execute every single week because when teams know how to stop it, they'll be, they'll be able to stop that with ease. But the Jets, you know, weren't ready for that. The Cincinnati Bengals didn't put that on tape uh, this whole offseason season. And, you know, even if they'd showed it last year, the Jets probably weren't expecting it because Hugh Jackson was gone. And they were throwing a lot of horizontal passes, a lot of screen passes to receivers, whether it was LaFell or whether it was Green. And the Jets just didn't have enough guys out there to make the tackle after the catch. Yeah, that's, you know, and that's one of the things. Like, I feel like that your secondary could be your undoing this year. Because I'll tell you, the next group I'm about to talk about 
is definitely the backbone of everything that your team is. And that's your defensive line. Let's talk about the sack party. Okay? Seven total sacks, and six of them came from your defensive line. That's disgusting. We all know, as Bills fans, how good the Jets' D-line is. But last week, they put up seven sacks against Andy Dalton and the Cincinnati offensive line. My assumption is that, well, there's a lot of people who think that their sack numbers will be higher against the Bills, given the state of our offensive line. I disagree. I think that they've seen firsthand how dangerous Tyrod Taylor can be when he's on the move and when they flush him out of the pocket. I think what they're going to do plays to their strengths. I think they're going to send their linebackers and send their cornerbacks and safeties into coverage and let those four animals up front. They've got Leonard Williams, two and a half sacks. Muhammad Wilkerson. I don't even know. Did he finish with two sacks? Kyle, correct me if I'm wrong. He had at least one full one, and I think he had one and a half on the final okay. stat sheet. Then they had uh, uh, Steve McClendon show up with two sacks, and then they got one from their linebacker. Uh, what was his name? Malden. Malden. So the fact is, is their defensive line manhandled Cincinnati's offensive line. And I don't know. I think that what they're going to do is they're going to play to their strengths. They're only going to send a four-man rush. But that might be all they need. That four-man rush might be all they need to get to Tyrod Taylor. Kyle, let's not forget that that's one of my concerns that I laid out to you yesterday when I called into your show is that I'm a little bit worried about the Jets' defensive line against the Bills' offensive line. But then, if again, if you remember to what I told you about my former coworker that has the hottest of hot takes, sacks don't matter. <laughs> you know, it's so interesting how things can change, how quickly they can change in the NFL. Uh, I think that you guys will be quick to admit that the 2014 Bills offensive line was not good, but the two, 2015 offensive line was very good. Would you guys agree with that? Oh, I would absolutely agree with that. Now, you have to wonder and ask yourself the question, okay, is the 2016 Bills offensive line, even though it's pretty much the same core group of guys – can they take a dip in production? You know, Richie is no spring chicken. Eric Wood is no spring chicken. Um, Cordy Glenn is dealing with injuries. You know, can they take a dip in production? Because, listen, the Ravens do have a good front seven. But their line is not as good as the Jets. And it's really not even close. No, it's, it's I'll tell you, the defensive line that you guys have, I was talking to a friend of mine on my way over here tonight. And he and I both agreed that it was disgusting that the entire, like, Whoever had the top 10, I'll call it top six picks in the NFL, they let you have Leonard Williams. And when I saw that pick, I just like, I don't know, I chugged a beer and I was just like, Jesus Christ, how did this happen? How did the rich get richer? Yeah, and I think your GM, Doug Whaley, was basically saying, we're not happy that the Jets got Leonard Williams. No, I, I no one was. This, no one maybe in the AFC. No one in the AFC East was happy that you guys got Leonard Williams because everyone knew what that meant. You guys already had Sheldon Richardson, Muhammad Wilkerson. You guys had a bevy of pass rushers, and instead you guys just added what might be one of the most disruptive pass rushers on the planet. I watched a game, I watched a game preseason against the Redskins. I watched a play 
where Leonard Williams flat out ripped past the offensive lineman, one-handed Matt Jones, and Matt Jones tried everything he could to pass block him, and he threw him to the ground like a rag doll, and then just destroyed Kirk Cousins. I think that was actually um, Chris Thompson, the the little scat back from the Washington Redskins. Is that who and, it was? Because he and, threw that guy. Yeah. Oh, he, he destroyed threw him and like he actually a rag doll. Colt McCoy there. Yeah. But the the point is is that he's just been absolutely dominant this entire preseason. He destroyed the Jags offensive line. He destroyed the Giants offensive line. He's just been on a complete tear. And then what he did to Cincinnati because. There's no doubt about it. Everyone would say coming into the season, Cincinnati has a top 10 offensive line. No doubt about it. No one's really going to argue that. And Andy Dalton has never been sacked more than seven times in his – that's a record for Andy Dalton. Five years, all those starts that he's made. He's never been sacked seven times. He was only sacked 20 times all last season. He got more than a third of that just in this game. And it's not just sacks too. He was under pressure all the time. And it's not just like – so – the Jets, throughout much of their recent history, since they've had good defenses, particularly with Rex, a lot of their sacks have come on blitzes, blitzing linebackers. A lot of these sacks was not that. No. It was interior rushers you're just, just beating the you're, center. Your defensive linemen owned everybody. It was disgusting. It's terrifying. And I'll be honest, if you guys, if you guys are smart, what you'll do, your, your defensive coordinator – We'll sit down with Todd Bowles and say, listen, I want to go at Tyrod with four D line. Because I feel like those four men alone can do, they don't need blitzes. They don't need linebacker blitzes. You don't need safety or cornerback blitzes. You guys can get the job done with just four down linemen. Do you agree or disagree? I agree with you, Drew. And you also want someone to be able to spy Tyrod Taylor because, let's be honest, he really hurt the Jets in week 17. You know, he kept drives alive. It was so frustrating to see the Bills constantly convert on third down, whether it was a Tyrod scramble or whether it was Tyrod moving outside the pocket and hitting uh, Greg Salas to, to move the chains. The Bills dominated time of possession in that game because they could move the chains. And one of the reasons is because Tyrod's mobility. If you, only, if you can get to the quarterback with just four rushers, collapse that pocket, and still have linebackers roaming free to spy that quarterback, I think that's a good game plan, and that's one that I would like to see the Jets do. When you, you know, I like to think back to one time when we were playing on Thursday night. We were up in Denver, and we were playing Tim freaking <laughs> Tebow, and Rex Ryan sent the house in overtime. Sent the house. Eric Smith, who is one of your guys' defensive coordinators right now, he's one of your guys' defensive coaches right now. He missed Tebow when he was blitzing. Tebow scrambled outside the pocket and ran for a 20-yard touchdown to seal that game. You I know, so that's that. that's the risk that you can run when you blitz a whole bunch of guys with a mobile quarterback. That can happen to you. And I think that's why the Ravens played us the way that they did. So we're going to move on to our next feature. Now, this is something we're going to feature every single week for every team that we play. It's the P Y M N K, but should. That stands for. Player you may know, may not know, but should. Hello, I've never heard of you before. And this week's candidate is Steve McClendon, defensive tackle from the New York Jets. Now, we're talking about a sixth-year NFL veteran here. He spent most of his career as a rotational player for the Steelers. 
But after only having four sacks to his credit over those five years, he posted two sacks and five tackles against a good interior line of the Bengals' offense last week. Most of this was due to mismatches across the line because, I mean, you look at what the Jets have. They've got Leonard Williams, Wilkerson, and now you've got Richardson coming back in to just feast on offensive lines. I think that Steve McClendon is a guy that you still have to keep an eye on because as a D-tackle, he has pass rush ability. And Bills fans need to keep an eye on that because that could be something that comes to fruition. Yes, you should know who this guy is. And lots of Jets fans are really upset. Oh, we let Snacks go. And Snacks is bar none the best run stuffer in the entire NFL. And I would agree. Snacks is the best run stuffer in the NFL. But to pay a guy who only plays 50% of your snaps $9 million a season, to me that doesn't sound like something that I want to do. I think Tyrod Taylor is making $9 million this year. Um, so, And let's be honest. Snacks only had one and a half sacks in his entire career. Steve McClendon eclipsed that in his first game with the Jets. Now, I did not see that coming out of him. I got to be honest. You know, you knew that he was a different player. Todd Bowles told him since the first day that he met with McClendon, you're not a nose tackle, you're a defensive lineman. I'm going to employ you in many different ways. And when you watch the film of Steve McClendon in Pittsburgh, you notice that he could move very well uh, laterally, side to side, sideline to sideline, for a guy his size. But the Jets asked him to drop a little bit of weight. They wanted him to move even better. Interesting move. Um, but it seems to be paying dividends because not only did McClendon have those sacks, and, and these weren't a Calvin Pace coverage sack. You know, one season, Calvin Pace had 10 sacks with the Jets, and he really was never getting good pass rush. Let's just be honest. But just one play, Steve McClendon absolutely destroyed the center for the Cincinnati Bengals. I believe his name is Bo Dine. Another play that really sticks out in my mind. Game plan around the defensive line. We know how dangerous their defensive line can be, which gives them the freedom to commit more players to run support or pass coverage. We have to be able, as an offense, to find a scheme for this game that can work around those kinds of obstacles. You know, like I said earlier, we didn't utilize a whole lot of screen passes. We didn't utilize a whole lot of draw plays. Maybe this is the time where that comes into play here. You know, you can exploit the fact that their cornerbacks and linebackers aren't that good in pass coverage. Get the ball out, get guys to the second level in a hurry, and just see what you can gain after Gain after the play. Drew, if you are Aaron Cromer, do you implement a similar scheme that we laid out last season against Houston? Because we did shut down J.J. Watt. Absolutely. You know what I would do is I would rotate coverages. I'd pick a guy every down, and I'd be like, this is the guy. This is the guy I want to target on this down. Whether it's, it's, you know. (laughs) Wilkerson. Wilkerson. Williams. Whether it's Williams. I want to rotate some extra help to that side, and I want to leave in a guy. Like I said earlier, I think we brought in Felton because he can be a help on those passing downs when there's pass rushers bearing down. Last week, McCoy proved he can't pass block. He's just not a pass blocker. McCoy gives Having Felton in the backfield gives us that dynamic. I think we can pull that off against your, off, against your defensive line, Kyle. I really do. And I think that's our key to victory is finding a way around the defensive line because everything else from there goes downhill quickly. 
And, and Drew, to your point, as you're saying all this, you're talking about getting, you know, u- utilizing running back screens. What about using a wide receiver screen? You know, Sammy Watkins was amazing at running those at Clemson University. We've never done yep. it. We never have utilized Sammy Watkins in the way that he needs to be used. And it blows why? my mind. I don't understand because I don't work for the organization. That's why. <laughs> okay. Well, not only is Sammy really good at doing it, but you saw last week that the Jets were horrible at defending it. Yep. So if I'm the Buffalo Bills, that is something that I'm going to be looking to exploit. The next step is establish next key to victory. Establish a running game on early downs. This past week, we passed on more first downs than we have in at least our last 15 games. I counted back to last season to see how often we passed on first down rather than running. We threw this week so often that it wasn't funny. Now, I think they thought they could shake up, you know, quote-unquote, shake up the Ravens' defense by passing on first down. But if you only check down, you're not scaring anybody. The fact is, is I think that the Bills need to establish good yardage on first downs throughout the course of the game. And I know that should be a no-brainer. For any NFL football team, but apparently someone has to spell it out for him. I'll tell you, before we started recording this, I listened to Rex Ryan's press conference before, or yesterday rather, to see if there's any good audio for tonight. One of the things he mentioned in the podca- in the, his press conference that I did not grab audio for is he guaranteed touches for Mike Gillisley. Well, I don't care about Mike Gillisley. What I like is John Williams. <laughs> of course. Of I course. Think- <laughs> yeah, Kyle's... Of course you don't like Mike Gillisley because now you owe Gary drinks. Oh, no, no. The fact is is that he didn't get a single touch this week. So if the coaching staff liked him enough to keep him around on the roster, why didn't he get a single touch? Okay, Why didn't he get a single touch? The fact is is I hope John Williams is healthy enough to play because if that's the case, then I see no reason. I see no reason. He's our yards after the catch guy. He's got to be our Carlos Williams. You know, he Carlos Williams was our change of pace back who could break tackles. You've got a, a whole slew of running backs on this roster. You know, when we had Carlos Williams, you had a you had Shady, who was a slasher. He's your he's your guy who will go out there and he'll find a hole and he'll hit it hard and he'll cut you yard for yard for yard. Then you had a guy like John, you know, Jonathan Williams or, well, previously Carlos Williams, the type of guy who will hit you, get contact, and gain yardage after the fact. I think Jonathan Williams on this offense is paramount to our success because we need that. Coming up against a tough running defense, we're going to need a guy who can break a tackle or two. And the only guy that I see, I don't see Gillesley breaking tackles, I see John Williams being that guy. Now, Kyle, are you worried about any of our running backs? Um, Shady. I'm not worried about Jonathan Williams, although I do think he's pretty impressive for where you guys drafted him. Um, But I'm not worried about him. Uh, But, yes, Shady, he obviously cut us up last year. And, you know, as you're saying all that, what I'm thinking is the Bills definitely need to have a very run-heavy game. I think it would be quite stupid to have Tyrod Taylor drop back and pass that often. Especially if it's those deep downfield passes where you know you got to hold the ball longer, and then you're susceptible to this Jets defensive line swallowing you up, and 
You don't want little Tyrod Taylor taking a hit from big old Leonard Williams or big God, old no. uh, Muhammad Wilkerson. God, no. Um, no, you don't want that. So what I'm thinking is the Bills should have a heavy dose of the running attack and then run a decent amount of play actions. You run that play action and then you try to throw it to Sammy Watkins deep because that's where Revis struggles on the deep ball. Well, and that was my next key to the game was – in total, the Jets gave up four deep completions last week for a total of 189 yards and a touchdown. I mean, that was the strength of the Bills' passing game last season, was deep. Take you shots. saw it the first night, or the first play on the Thursday night game last season. Like, just load up, get, just load up and take a shot deep. And that's what they did very well last year. And that's what got them a lot of their wins. I mean, you think about the Miami touchdown. You think about all the deep passes during the Houston game. The fact is is that it's going to be there. If we can simply execute it properly, I don't think that the Jets' defense can defend the deep ball properly. Now, do you agree or disagree? Well, you're saying take deep shots often. I think if you do that often, you know – the Jets might be able to get to the quarterback relatively quickly. And, you know, mm-hmm. let's be honest. When you take a deep shot, you need lots of time to let that play develop downfield. So I don't know that you want to do that often. And that's why I kind of said, you know, use the max protect play action type of approach where you keep so many guys at home. You have Revis one-on-one, you know, versus Sammy downfield. And you've already shown the threat of the run game. So the Jets are expecting that. And you can fool them a little bit. And then that's when you take your shots. That's my thinking. Hey, listen, if you and I were offensive coordinators or defensive coordinators, we'd be making a lot more money than we are now. (laughs) You're right about that, my man. So I got to ask you, what is your prediction for the game this week? I said 20 to 16 Jets. um, And I think it's just a a matter of uh, injuries and suspensions are just going to be too much for the Bills in this game. Um, If they had Lawson, if they had Raglan, if they had Darius, who's definitely the biggest one, if they had 100% Sammy Watkins, if they had a Cordy Glenn, you had all those guys, maybe I'd think different. Um, But the reality is, is you don't. And those are big losses. And the Jets will get Sheldon Richardson back. You have to imagine, you know, that defensive line was so scary last week. You're getting an amazing player back. Some Jets fans would argue the most talented defensive lineman out of all of them. What can this defensive line be? I think it'll be enough for the Jets to win, but I do think it'll be close. 20 to 16 Jets. See, I was on your show last night, and I told you my concern was your defensive line against our offensive line, the way we performed against Baltimore. I do think it's going to be low scoring. And just because it's divisional and it's the Jets and I don't like the Jets, I think it's going to be low scoring. I'm going to go 16 to 10 Buffalo. Drew, over to you. I'm going to call a firefight. Does that mean you're going to get in a fight with somebody in the stands? Nope. What I think happens is that Fitzpatrick throws three touchdowns. Tyrod uncorks it. I think this is the game I think he learned from last week. I think he's going to let it fly. What I think, and given your secondary's limitations in coverage, because they're going to put Kelvin Pryor out there. They are, because they, they're going to be expecting a run-heavy offense. I expect them to take advantage of that. If, if, if our offensive coordinator has half a brain, I think that the Bills win by one. It's going to be probably, what, 24 <sighs> Nah, we'll call it by two, 
Because I see you guys finally getting over those red zone hiccups against us. So is it the Jets or the Bills who win? Bills. Okay. Bills win by a field goal. Come on, Kyle. This is last all- minute. Kyle, last this- minute. He he. Dude, if I can't believe that the Bills win, then I have no point in going to the game. Kyle, these are all homer picks. You pick the Jets, we pick the Bills. It's all just being a homer. But and Gary fact, picked but, the Bills, the, too. Oh, oh, I'm sure he did. Well, what, what was Gary's spread? Did he tell you? Um, I think he said uh, it was like a field goal type of game. Exactly. I think he said maybe Didn't he say he like said 2017 Bills, I think he said. See, and that's the thing. It's going to be a tight game. I feel that. If it's not, then you know what? I owe you one. You know, Thursday night football is usually very ugly, and we're talking about two teams that are probably, at this point, more stronger on the defensive side of the ball. I think, like you said, Chris, because it's a Thursday night game, strong defensive teams, going to be an ugly showdown. It could be very low scoring, very ugly. I don't see either of these offenses looking great in this one. Exactly. And you know what I read? You know what I read this week is that you guys are going to be wearing white for the colorblind. Because <laughs> people. People got irritated because uh, of last year's Thursday night game, the red and the green. It, to colorblind people, it was the same color. Jets are wearing all white this week, and the Bills are wearing all red. Interesting. And I tell you what, that, that white face mask for the Jets looks pretty cool, I must say. Ah, that's that's sweet. You guys didn't have a white face mask before? No, we always have the green face mask. Ah. And, you know, we had when we did the color rush last year, we had that, like, Kelly Green metallic type of face mask, which that's was pretty cool. cool in its own right, but yeah. that's cool. Well, so that brings us to our beer watch update. Beer watch, Chris. Where are you said? I have I have five beers in, and Kyle, I, I know you've been listening to our podcast, and probably I predicted that Drew would have ten weeks of ten plus. Drew is on his tenth beer, right? Now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the fact is, is that I, I don't know. I'm a drinker. I'm a drinker and I'm a talker. And that's now Kyle, Kyle, makes you, this podcast. Kyle, you are not a drinker, correct? Correct. You will be if you were a Bills fan. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, um, being a Jets fan, I don't know that it's much better. Wait, you, you guys. Listen, I don't care that it's been a while you guys at least have a Super Bowl victory. Yes, and that is the argument that I can always use against Bills fans. But, I mean, and yes, yeah, so listen, you guys haven't been to the playoffs in 15, 16 years now, so we also got that. It, and I must say, the Jets, although we've had some horrific seasons, we have made some deep playoff runs in the last 15, 16, 17, 18 years. So there is something to be said for that. Yeah, Kyle, it's on 16 years, so... I, I actually have us missing the playoffs this year, so it'll be 17, and then we're going to have to figure out where our playoff drought wants to go to college. And Listen, you asshole. The season hasn't even started. You shut your mouth. You, I exercise the demons from your mouth. Oh. oh. Yeah, Kyle. So, guys. Yep. Kyle, how does it feel not only to be, the, to be leading in the clubhouse for the – most uh, the guest that we've had on the most. This is your fifth time on the show. You now have been on the longest episode of the Rockpile Report podcast. I mean, I feel honored. I feel honored that we can, you know, just go off on little tangents and talk about this, that, and the other. Um, 
And that you guys, why would you guys want to have me on five times a Jets fan? But uh, it, it's pretty cool, and I'm there are I'm so many outlets as Jet fans as far as podcasting, and you know I love Drew and I both love hitting up Kyle and Ben on the Jet Take on Twitter, and uh, uh, Joe I just like talking and shit. Joe and and <laughs> but we it's like if we if we're gonna have another Jet voice on our podcast. We're gonna to have to contact you for like the, the okay. I like the fact that you speak well, and you're you're biased. You will put the Jets in their place when they have to be. Well, thank you. I I know that we all, we all have our biases that exist. I wonder if that's kind of slanting my views on how I'm predicting this game to turn out. But um, I like to think I do a, a fairly good job with that. It's hard. We ha- we have to admit it's it's hard for us as fans, and um. You have my blessing if you want to put on another Jets fan, and no pun intended for Ben Blessington. Oh no, Ben, Ben, Kyle, if either one of you can hear this, you suck. <laughs> I don't think he's listening. He's too Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, guys, it's been a blast. You too. Let's wrap this up. Yep. We're uh, Drew. You're going to Canada this weekend. I'm going so. to Canada this weekend. Yeah. So this weekend, Chris will be handling the Facebook Live by himself, solo. If I don't decide to drive to New Jersey to get Kyle or Gary on, oh my me. god, that Kyle, if he's outside your house, feel free to call the police. <laughs> I'll be outside your house like a raccoon. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll be on Facebook Live solo tomorrow night. We got Bills and Jets. It's nationally covered so i don't have to do my 506 sports.com spot but uh bills fanatics buffalo bills fanatics on facebook is our group get mm-hmm. at it i'm gonna be on facebook live solo on saturday kyle i know you're not gonna be doing anything on and saturday then guys night. we gotta update you on beer watch i'm five in you're ten in beer watch add it to your eight i'm at 10 total for the season you're at 18 it's getting away already. Yeah, exactly. Things, things are already getting out of hand. Kyle, I told I I when we tweeted this out originally, I said ten weeks. I'm gonna have Drew at ten plus beers. This is my first week. Drew's on his tenth. Is he's on his tenth beater? This is gonna get ridiculous. And if you have not heard, um, my prediction is we're gonna be doing two two hundred and twenty five beers in the season. That's eleven dollars and twenty five cents in bottle return. <laughs> Beer watch. Right. He's like Drew, a homeless guy. Drew Drew's got two hundred and sixty nine beers. That's thirteen dollars and forty five cents in bottle returns. Any of that money that we get back from all these bottles is just going directly back into the podcast for beers in the off season. When obviously we'll have you on again. The next time we play the Jets and in the offseason when we want to find out who are the Jets keying in the draft, you're going to be back on. But we got 269 for Drew, 225 for me this season. Kyle, why don't you go ahead and plug your own podcast? Tell people where they can find you. So on Twitter, I am at AFC East Bros. My brother is AFC underscore East Bro Gary. You can email our show, afceastbros at gmail.com. And we do a live show every Tuesday evening, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can listen to it live if you have a computer or a laptop, desktop, any of that stuff is good. Can't do it from a phone. Uh, And you can call in in that first hour from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we'd love to go back and forth with people. Um, You know, we mentioned certain other podcasters and stuff that call in from time to time. Chris just mentioned that he called in. 
we have a blast going back and forth. So that's our show. We talk about the entire division. I'm a Jets fan. My brother's a Bills fan. And we also talk some Patriots and Dolphins. So we'd love to hear from you guys. Guys, you heard it straight from the horse's mouth. They're good people. Go ahead and listen to their podcast. I'm telling you. If you if you interact with them, they're great. We gotta get out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. That's Kyle Smith from AFC's Pros Podcast. And this has been the Rock Power Report. <laughs>